Our God, thank you. Thank you for a resurrection after a cross and for new life. Thank you that he indeed is alive and in our world. We've experienced that this week, some of us in this room in very profound ways because of your provision, because you're there, because you love, because you care. And so God, we come here today because we need to. We need to sing praises to you. We need to open your word. But we need to hear you speak to our hearts. And God, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have together here together in a free country and raise our voices to you. Thank you for each person who's here. God, would you speak to the very specific needs of our own hearts? Would you give us a kind of hope that we need to have to live in a world like that in which we live? God, these are strategic days, and we have our pastor search committee at work. We lift them to you again, as we always do. We pray that you will bless them, speak to them, and through them, keep them in the center of your will. And Lord, we ask you to impress upon them the man you're calling to this place, and will rejoice. Now in the meantime, help us be steadfast, faithful, committed to you, committed to one another, making a difference here and literally around the world. We dare to ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our children who uh, are headed to Children's Church can go at this time. And uh, thank you, Praise Band, for leading us. And uh, how blessed we are to have those in our church who make such a difference in the community, in uh, emergency services and all those kinds of uh, things. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I will be in Kerrville in the morning, and uh, they're going to take this cataract out of this left eye, and hopefully up here I'll be able to see a little better. And uh, lighting is not all that good up here, especially for, well, I was going to say old eyes, but I think I'll just say mature eyes. I hope that's okay with you. Open your Bibles, please, to First uh, Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This indeed is the Word of God, and I believe it to be the Word of God for this day and for those of us who are here this morning. So hear it expectantly and gladly as God speaks to us in his word. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that if even if they are disobedient to the word, 
They may be won without a word by your behavior, by the behavior of their wives. So they observe your chaste, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. May God add his blessing to this, the reading of his word. Keep hope alive. That's the call of the big fisherman. But if hope is to live in us, And make a difference in us. It must be present in the home. And if it is present in the home, it will begin in the marriage itself. I am convinced it is the will of God that our marriages in the church be instruments of and protectors of Hope. Too seldom, really, is that as true as it ought to be. More often, it is viewed as a kind of impossible ideal. Even the marriage literature can reflect this. For instance, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, wrote these words at the close of a book which he dedicated to his wife. Hear this man of old. How can I paint the happiness of a marriage of two believers, one hope, one vow, one discipline, and one worship? They are brother and sister, two fellow servants, one spirit and one flesh. Where there is one spirit, there is one flesh. They pray together, fast together, instruct, exhort, and support each other. They go together to the church of God and to the table of the Lord. They share each other's tribulation and persecution and revival Neither conceals anything from the other. Neither avoids nor annoys the other. 
They delight to visit the sick, supply the needy, give alms without constraint, and in daily zeal lay their offerings before the altar without scruple or hindrance. They do not need to keep the sign of the cross hidden, nor to express shyly their Christian joy, nor to suppress the blessing. Psalms and hymns they sing together, and they vie with each other in singing to God. Christ rejoices when he sees and hears this. He gives peace where two are together in his name. There is he, and where he is, there the evil one cannot come. Now let me check. For how many of you does that perfectly describe your marriage? Well, my hand's not up either. That is the idea of it. But uh, it does sound idealistic. In his book, Secrets to Inner Beauty, Joe Aldrich says something different, a bit more humorously, about married life. Listen. It doesn't take long for the newlyweds to discover that everything in one person, nobody's got. They soon learn that a marriage license is a learner's permit and ask with agony, is there life after marriage? An old Arab proverb states that marriage begins with a prince kissing an angel, and ends with a bald-headed man looking across the table at a fat woman. (laughs) Socrates told his students, By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, twice blessed you'll be. If you get a bad wife, you'll be a philosopher. Count Hermann Kesserling said it well when he stated that the essential difficulties of life do not end, but rather begin with marriage. Well, that's real, perhaps too real. So it's rather important that we need to hear what Peter says. And we need to hear it well. You'll notice, I think you may have, when when I read the text, that Peter talks about wives for six verses in the passage. He talks to the husbands in only one verse. (laughs) But rather than single that out, I, I want to marry, if I may use that word, the verses... And speak to all of us. For I'm persuaded that what we find here are at least six ways, six values, that when made the goal in our marriage, will encourage it to be a place of hope. Are you ready? Number one, marriage is a place of hope when submission is valued over dominance. 
when submission is valued over dominance. Now, Peter begins here in the same way, or likewise. And when that word occurs, you want to look at what he has said before, because this is in the same vein. And perhaps you remember from last Sunday or from First Peter chapter 2, Peter has told us that we ought to be submissive to those in authority, to kings and presidents, governors, even mayors and county judges perhaps. And we're trying to figure out how to deal with that one in these days of, of COVID. He has told us, that we're to be submissive to masters and bosses and, and, and that sort of thing. And then in the same way now, likewise you wise be submissive. Now remember the, the best description, the example of that also is in chapter 2. It is the example of our Lord himself who submitted himself to the will of God went to the cross, died for the sins of men, was raised again after being buried, raised again, and given the name which is above every name, that even at the name of Jesus, every knee was going to bow, Paul tells us in Philippians. Here he says, You wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by your behavior, by the behavior of their wives. That's the call. But what does it mean? Well, that, that is a military term, of course, that, that means to rank under. The call is for the wife to rank herself under the husband as the head uh, of the home, Peter reaches back and gets Sarah as that example, having done this for Abraham, kind of the time-honored plan of God. But what's the reason for this being here? Well, the very reason for this passage is that most of these wives were Christians had come to Christ after their marriage, and their husbands were not themselves yet believers. And they were to be submissive in such a way that their husbands find a place of their headship under God. Now I want to show you something else. Look down at the beginning of verse 7. You husbands in the same way are likewise... Be submissive. In the same way, you husbands have some responsibility. Now, many of you know that, that the, the verse that really amplifies this is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, is that word, you've heard it so often, those of you who walk in Christian circles, and are committed to the Bible as the Word of God. Paul says in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. But I want to remind you that verse 21, the verse before that one, says this, 
and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, friends, there is a directive to those of us who are brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. That is, that we are to defer to one another. That we are not to count the other, ourselves more important than any other. That we are not to be hypersensitive or defensive of ourselves, but rather we're to do what is right for each other. And this, I'm convinced, is absolutely true in the marriage as well. The pattern in the marriage is a mutual kind of submissive servanthood. Marriage is not to become, nor is it to be, a battleground where we demand our rights. We sometimes hear, well, if he's what he ought to be, then I'll try to be what I ought to be. Or if she is what she ought to be, then I'll try to be what I ought to be. It's not that at all. In the idea of Christian hope, marriage is that place where we don't have to call on the women's livers. We don't have to demand our rights. We so treat one another in such a way that we receive our rights and our blessing. I don't know if you've seen the old words or not, but they're, they're very, very true. A woman years ago wrote them as a kind of editorial in her local newspaper. They're these. Woman was created from the rib of a man. She was not made from his head so as to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. That is the ideal. That is the call. That is the struggle. And for those of you who are here today in school and all of life out there in front of you, Hear this and ask God to begin his journey in you, making that kind of mate out of you out there in the future, whether you be male or female. Something else. Marriage is a place of hope when evangelism is valued over manipulation. When evangelism is valued over manipulation. Manipulation. Notice again what he said in verses 1 and 2. That is, these husbands who are not yet saved, that mate that has not yet come to know the Lord, will observe. The word means will dwell. Will dwell upon your chaste and respectful behavior. Chaste here is the word for holy. Respect refers to the fear of God, a kind of awe in Him where you want to be all that you ought to be. Paul Cedar, in his commentary on 1 Peter, tells a a marvelous story about his church a few years ago. 
there was a couple who started coming, like some of you started coming here. And they had lived a rather wrong lifestyle, immoral. But, but they knew they needed a change. And the woman received Christ, made, made a profession of faith. And Paul Cedar baptized her. And in a few days, she came to see him in his office. And she said, I want my husband to have what I have. What do I need to do? And Paul Cedar read her this passage. And he said, when the time is right, I want you to explain to him the joy you have found in coming to know Jesus. I want you to tell her how important he is to her, to to you. And then I want you to tell him, I will not be saying another word to you about this until you come and ask me. And when he comes, then you tell him. And they prayed together, the pastor and this new believer. And she left. And Paul Cedar said in about three months, he was baptizing that pastor, that, that, excuse me, that husband. And he said to him, what, what led you to Christ? And he looked at the pastor and said, it was a change Jesus made in my wife. And then he said, she never nagged me. She never badgered me about it. She just lived in our home like a believer. Over in Lano, where I did an intentional interim, seemed like it lasted forever. But, but in our transition team, some of you remember the transition team here. And, and the last day, I always asked them, to share what we ought to pray for each of them individually when we think about them. There were two women in that transition team meeting. There were more women than on the team, but two who said, one of them said, I, I want very much for my husband to come to Bible study with me. If we, he would just come with me. And the other woman said, if my husband would just come to church with me. And so we made a pact that we were going to pray for them. And, and then we talked about the fact that, you know, ne- no one was ever argued into the kingdom of God. Are you aware of that? And nobody was ever fussed into the kingdom of God. No, no one was ever nagged into the kingdom of God. And we prayed that those two women would continue to do as they already had been doing. That is to love their husbands to be before them as best they could, everything that Christ led them to be, and to live out what He meant to them. Now the woman who said, I want very much for my husband to come to church with me, a few weeks after that, she got up one morning, got ready to come to Sunday school, and he said, what time does church start? She told him, he said, I'll meet you there today. A few weeks later, she got up and he was getting dressed. She said, you're going to be early. 
He said, well, I'm going to Bible study with you today. And he came to Bible study. And the next night in transition meeting, that woman and the other woman said, yesterday I got to be in Bible study with my husband. And those two women jumped up and hugged each other. And the rest of us on the team joined around them and thank God. Well, I have to make this very long story short. But in a few weeks, that husband who had never been a part of the church in Lano called me. He said, I want to have lunch with you. And we had lunch. He said, I want to join the church. In less than a year, he was a deacon, chairman of the protection committee over there, led in revising the church newsletter there every Sunday. But never once had either one of those wives done anything but let Christ live in them. Now, husbands, that's what we need to do too. And wives will not win by badgering, but we will win by being what the Spirit of God can produce in our lives. Now, marriage is a place of hope as well when beauty is valued over vanity. Now, he has these words about outward adornment. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. He does not say that outward adornment is wrong, that caring about how we look is wrong. He doesn't say that braided hair is wrong or that jewelry is wrong. He doesn't say that there's anything wrong with physical beauty. I remember asking God to send me a beautiful wife and doggone it, he did. And I've enjoyed that. But he points out to us that that physical beauty has a way of dimming not only by time and and the maturity of the years, but it, it can dim if the grace of God is not present in the inner self. I can tell you one of the most beautiful women I have ever known was my maternal grandmother. We called her mom. Mom had warts over her face. She never had them removed. She was a practical nurse. And I remember the day that, that, that she came home telling she was taking care of this man. She was trying to get him to eat his carrots. And he said, I don't want any carrots. I don't like carrots. She, she, he said to her, she said to him, they'll make you pretty. And he looked at her and said, well, you must not have eaten any. But she was beautiful. Twelve grandchildren. I was the oldest grandson There was never a day in my life that she did not pray for me. Of those 12 grandchildren, there are two preachers and I believe four deacons and one minister of music. An inner, quiet, sweetness and confidence 
that can only be produced by the Spirit of God. And that kind of beauty is valued over vanity. Jesus had it. Remember how he entered Jerusalem before the crucifixion? A donkey. Kings don't ride donkeys. Jesus did. An inner, quiet, confident spirit. Number four. Marriage is a place of hope when understanding is valued over rejection. Now get it in verse 7. Hear it again. You husbands in the same way love your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of God. Live with your wives. Uh, The word is present tense. You understand that in the Greek language, always when the verbs are in present tense, it means an action that is begun and is to continue. Continue to live with your wives. Uh, you, You don't end this scene because you disagree. Fundamentally, what we do when we gather here in this place for a wedding is a couple make a commitment to each other before God and a minister and their friends and their family. And remember, we talk about in sickness and in health and all those kind of things. It's a commitment. It's not when you feel like it. You, you, you live with her. You continue to live with her. She is a weaker person. Now, what on earth does that mean? Physically, women are not as strong as men. Now, it's interesting how some of that may be changing with bodybuilding and WNBA and and, and all that. But by the way, they they ask. Mrs. Ray Stedman, you may know the name Ray Stedman, a well-known pastor now with the Lord out in California. They asked Ms. Stedman what, what this meant when it said the wife is a weaker vessel. And she looked and she said, it's hormones. It's hormones. Well, we might understand something of that. But notice, if you're interested in equality, notice how the wife is. She is a joint heir. Did you get that? You want to talk about ownership and property and, and, and all those kind of things. Who's equal? She's a joint heir. Of the goodness and the grace of God in Christ. It's not just for men. It set the stage for who we are and what we are to become. A a joint heir. Understanding. Here it basically means to know. We're, We're to know each other in our marriage. 
in the deepest kind of way. It's interesting. The word, the word can mean the sexual union, and that's hardly unimportant. But it means to know in a way as to understand. I think it was Ruth Graham who wrote in her own book, you know, Ruth Graham, Be- Be- Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham. She said, it's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to make Billy good. Well, number five, marriage is a place of hope when honor is valued over dishonor. Now, verse seven, he says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That word honor, its other meaning, we've talked about it before, is precious. Precious. Honor. Gary Smalley and John Trent define this word in their book, The Gift of Honor. In ancient writings... Something of honor was something of substance, literally heavy, valuable, costly, even priceless. For Homer, the Greek scholar, the greater the cost of the gift, the more the honor. And not only does it signify something or someone who is a priceless treasure, but it is also used for someone who occupies a highly respected position in our lives, someone high on our priority list. My brother, when he was growing up, had done something that mother didn't approve of, and she was on his case pretty good. And he looked at her and played his trump card He said, you love daddy more than you love me. And she blew his mind away. She looked at him and said, buddy, you got that one right. I love him more than I love you. I had him before I have you, and I'm going to have him when you're gone and gone. And our commitment is to each other. And that is what this says, that we value we value each other that's the call and then finally marriage is a place of hope when the spiritual is valued over the secular did you catch that last phrase in verse 7 so that your prayers will not be hindered are you confident God hears you when you pray One of the ways you can know he's listening is when you're honoring your marriage and your mate so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And as nothing hinders your prayers, your home becomes an example of what it is to live in hope. Chuck Swindoll, in his chapter on these verses, ends with a challenge to all of us 
The challenge is this. If we're married, if we're married, sometime this week to come up with the four qualities that we most admire in our mate. Not quickly, but after thought, dwelling on the four qualities that we most admire in our mate. And then the one thing that we would like most for God to change about us. Now, if you try to reverse those, you're listening to the devil, not the Lord. It's not four things you most admire about you and the one thing that you'd like to change about your mate. But the four things you most admire about your mate and the one thing you'd really like God to change about you. It's tough. In fact, I usually tell people whom I do the ceremony for that it's impossible for any two people, any two people to live together apart from the grace of God. But as our homes come to reflect, not perfection, we will not get there this side of glory but the commitment to be and exemplify what the Holy Spirit acting in our lives can do as our homes become that, we make a powerful, powerful difference in our world. And we point people without hope to the living hope. May God help us do it. Would you bow your heads with me? And as you sit there quietly, if you're married and your mate is alive, in just this moment, would you thank God for him or for her? And would you ask God to help you Hear his word and continually put it into practice. And would you just thank God for what he's about in your own life? And so, Father, I lift our homes and our marriages, our families and our church family, to you. Oh God, help us be sensitive to one another. Help us honor one another. Help us be submissive to one another in the sense that we rank others more important than ourselves. Help us be demonstrations, not of arrogance, but demonstrations of what the Spirit of God working in our lives day by day can do. And, oh, God, help us be the voice used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference, a big, big difference in this world of ours. 
In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now in a moment, we're going to sing and sing together with joy and commitment. And it's important because during this time, it may be the time that God has spoken to you, called you by name, as it were, and said, I I want you to commit yourself to Christ. I, I want you to come to know Jesus. And if that's you, when we sing, you ought to be one end of the aisle here to the front to say, James, God's calling me to be a believer today. I want to give my heart to Jesus. And it, you know, it really doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 85. If God's calling you, you need to come. Maybe that God is calling your family to be a part of this church. You can come, and we'd love to see you come. It may be that you'd like to come to pray. And I'll be glad to pray with you, or you may come and kneel at the altar and pray. But this is a significant time of God speaking. It's not a sad time. It's not a funeral dirge. It's a time of joy and commitment. So let's stand together. Let's sing with joy and commitment. And you come, and I'll meet you here at the front. What a Savior, isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down. Bow down before Him. For He is Lord. Hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Savior, isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Thank you. Be seated, please, for just a moment. Uh, just just a little follow-up on uh, the, the couple I told you about in, in Lano. I, I told her that she was one of the most amazing women I had ever known because wanting him to come and and have the joy that she had in church. He, he was a believer, just away from the Lord, away from church. She never, never nagged, but just lived. And the day he was ordained as a deacon... His family were there. And when I ordain deacons, I always let the ordained council do the laying on of hands. But I invite the church to be a part of that as well. And and I've seen some wonderful things. I've seen mothers lay hands on their sons and children lay hands on their father. It's a moving, moving time. And that whole family, because of what God had done, that whole family came and laid hands on Dad. That's the hope that God can do in a marriage. I've seen marriages that were literally on the rocks where they decided to give God a chance and God did something beautiful. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's not a feeling, it's a commitment. Don't give up. And uh, 
You know, it's a sorry preacher that preaches a sermon and then tries to redo it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. But, but just be encouraged where God is doing God's work. Beautiful things can come. God, God gets A in making something precious out of messes when they're yielded to him. I'm very 